Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to China Corner Office, a podcast produced in partnership with SupChina, featuring conversations with business leaders from around the world about the challenges and opportunities of doing business in China, the world's most dynamic economy. I'm Chris Marquis, a professor of business at Cornell, where I teach and research on this same topic. Every episode, we talk to an executive at a company doing business in China and explore what has led to their personal and business success, and also some of the challenges they've encountered along the way. With geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and China on the rise, understanding how business can compete in China is more important than ever. If you're interested in doing business in China or are looking for insights to adjust your current business strategy, this is the show for you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, our guest today is James Cho. James just introduced himself a bit. Uh, he's a CEO of Microsoft for Startups North Asia, uh, which is an initiative to scale some of the best and most innovative startups in China. Uh, also, I think Korea and Japan, uh, but we'll mainly focus on China today. Uh, and James has more than 20 years of TMT experience in China. You know, he founded or co-founded three high-tech companies in China and was also part of the senior management at Asia Info and U.S. Uh, Starcom, which were two of the earliest NASDAQ-listed Chinese companies. James has also worked at HP and NEC in Silicon Valley for seven years. Thank you. Welcome to China Corner Office. Hi, Chris. Uh, it's really honored to speak here. Hi, everyone. Great. Well, first, you know, it would it'd be you know really fantastic, I think, to get just a general overview of the Microsoft for Startups organization. You know, I looked a little bit online. It seems you have sort of elements of an accelerator, maybe some traditional seeds uh, slash VC investment. You know, can you just provide a general overview of the global strategy and also China specific strategy? Sure. So uh, Microsoft, uh, back in year 2012, we realized startup is a very important segment for Microsoft. So today's startup is tomorrow's enterprise. So uh, in the past, a company become a unicorn, a, a $1 billion market cap. It, it may take more than 10 years, but nowadays, even less than three or four years. So um, so we, we really want to be actually... Um, building up um, a mindshare within uh, those companies. We really care about the startups. And uh, uh, second, I think Microsoft itself is, uh, as we, our mission right now, our key business is helping the enterprise 
to do digital transformation. Uh, Microsoft is a platform company. We really working with our partner, typically the ISVs, uh, to solving problems, uh, helping the corporate to do digital transformation together. So by having working with startups, we be able to help them to grow using Microsoft platform and Microsoft customers. And the meanwhile, um, it, it's um, it solve our Microsoft pro uh, customer problems. So in that sense, it, 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 it's a win-win-win situations. You know, for our customer problem got solved, Microsoft we help customer. Um, you know, to do the digital transformation and a startup can leverage Microsoft to scale their business. So that's how we work. We typically work with uh, tech startups and those tech startups uh, need to be, uh, a lot of times it's B2B uh, in nature because that's what we focused. So globally, uh, we are a global organization. We have locations. Uh, we have a team all over the world. We have uh, people in U.S., uh, in Europe, U.K., uh, uh, Sweden, uh, and uh, Germany, uh, many other places. Uh, Israel, India, China. Uh, so we're really truly a, a global team to to help all those. And and the Chris just asked me what we specific for China. I think certainly we, we belong to the global team. We all also execute the global program. But meanwhile, we certainly want to be localize our program to um, specific target to the Chinese startups. Uh, in one area, we we we're, we're a little bit different. I think uh, Microsoft is extremely strong. Uh, uh, helping the global multinationals to go to China. So in, in, in China, we really connect the startup with all Microsoft multinational customer uh, to help them uh, to land their business in China. And meanwhile, startup be able to uh, show their innovative solution uh, to the Fortune 500 company. And then uh, through working with them, they can find the best market fit and also can scale with this multinational. And the second, when the Chinese companies want to go global, Microsoft is truly global companies, they really can leverage Microsoft seller channels and a customer to go global. So those are the very local uh, elements for the China specific. Yes, super, uh, yeah, super interesting to hear how, you know, sort of Microsoft has designed this program to help its customers, to help the actual firm, and to also sort of help itself. You know, I saw uh, that it's actually harder to get into Microsoft startups than it is to get into Harvard. Uh, so I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, how you select the companies, and then any sort of specific examples of companies that you're particularly proud of. It'd be great to learn some about those. I see. Because, um, Actually, uh, given everything we provide is free, equity free, we don't take any equity. Uh, we provide a very significant value to startups. So when startup enter program, we're providing uh, them their cloud credit, a lot of Microsoft technology tools, and a Microsoft architect uh, will help the startup uh, to review their architect and help them provide technical support. So that's from technical perspective. And the second, I think we will actually uh, provide them the um, customer access. As I mentioned, you know, uh, in, in China alone, we have close to 100 uh, Fortune 500 companies uh, who want to do innovations with the China startup ecosystems. So that 
they will provide a lot of use cases where startup can really work with them to solving their problems, to find their product market fit, and scale them with customer. When their solution is ready, and then Microsoft Worldwide sellers will co-sell those startup solutions to Microsoft customers. So that's really helping the startup to scale with our platform. And last but least, we're also helping the startup raising money because we work closely to almost every tier one VCs in China. Uh, in year 2000 alone, I within my portfolio, there's 38 startups have been raised more than 1.2 billion US dollars. So that's kind of help we provide them. But you know, given we provide all those things for free, so we are super selective. Uh, that's why uh, about two and a half years ago, when Forbes China interviewed me, they put a headlines entering Microsoft for startup is harder than get to Harvard University because about it used to be a thousand startup apply for our program, it only select about twenty. Our admission rate is super low, right? So you ask me the selection criteria I mentioned. First of all, they have to be a tech startup. Mostly we're looking for companies who have AI, blockchain, cloud, data, uh, AR, VR, uh, robotic, those kind of digital technology and solving a business uh, B2B problems. Uh, so that's kind of things uh, first of all, tech startups. Second, I think... Uh, we, we're more like evaluate a company like a VC. Uh, typically, we are looking at a, a, a relatively mature startup company who already raised Series A funding, which means they already have a, a minimum variable product, so they can leverage our platform to scale their business. I think uh, third, we're also looking at their solutions, whether those their solutions or uh, whether they want to scale their business uh, is synergetic with Microsoft, whether Microsoft really can help them uh, when they enter the program. Very interesting. And so, I mean, I see you're located in Shanghai and you mentioned that there are about a hundred, you know, multinational or sort of like Fortune 500 uh, companies in China. Many of them are in Shanghai. You know, is, uh, I'm curious about, is it, is it most of the companies that are, that are finding solutions that then will be used overseas or are these solutions uh, and products that will be used mainly within China? I think it's the both way. I think first of all, I think if you come to China, you will realize the Chinese consumer is extremely digital. Whether the generation Z, they 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 just go always mobile. Everything's digital. So a lot of solutions, the multinational, when they build in the headquarter, may not be serving for their market. So they need to be uh, innovate fast because China is super fast paced. So that that's why they're looking for a startup to innovate with them uh, in China for China first of all. But I think China has become a very innovative place in in the last de decade. Used to be, you know, uh, the model is what they call a copy to China. You know, uh, but now I think a lot of times some ideas. Um, is being copied from China. I think when you China is really leading on the business model innovations. So uh, multinationals a lot of times be able to sourcing some of the uh, solutions here. Maybe also have a global impact. Whether they can actually co-innovate with our startup uh, with Microsoft for startups in China. Great. Are, are there any examples of uh, certain startups that have gone through the program that you're particularly proud of that really sort of exemplify the, the work that you do with them? 
Yeah, so as I mentioned, we started in year 2012, so it's been over eight years. We have uh, helped about uh, more than 600 startups uh, in the last eight years in China alone. Uh, I think there's so many examples. I just uh, recently, uh, I just noticed one startup, uh, the company called Hersai uh, uh, Technology. Uh, basically, this particular company was founded by three Chinese PhD students who got their degrees, two of them from PhDs from Stanford, one is from UIUC. Uh, in year 2013, they formed a company in San Jose, 2013, so they, they call that company Hersai uh, Technologies. Uh, they are building a lighter technologies. Um, in year 2014, they decided to return to China. They joined the Microsoft for Startup program in year 2016. Since then, you know, many of the multinational co-innovate with us. Uh, for example, like a company like Daimler, BMW, Bosch, etc. Those auto companies looking for alternative driving uh, solutions we introduced to them. Um, so now I think uh, uh, the, the lighter solutions is uh, actually uh, sell uh, in 70 cities, 20 countries. Uh, uh, they have all the, they got to raise hundreds of millions of dollars from companies like Bosch, uh, Baidu, uh, Lightspeed China. Uh, recently, the company just filed an IPO in, in, in China uh, with a valuation of about two billion US dollars. So these three PhD students, all in their uh, all, all born in the late eighties, uh, now all kind of um, um, net worth two hundred million dollars above. <laughs> That's great. Very good. Very nice example. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times some of the key sort of sectors where China is really leading uh, globally and sort of the multinationals in many cases are sort of behind them and potentially can learn from these companies like, you know, fintech, maybe AI, blockchain. Sort of, can you say a little bit about sort of your work, particularly in those segments? I think uh, um, from the fintech, I mean, when, when you look at China, where I returned uh, from Silicon Valley to China in year 2000, when companies like Alibaba want to start the e-commerce here, you know, people don't really have credit card. They don't have anything, right? So how did you gotta be solving the the payment things? But now, you know, the China, it's all mobile payment. You know, you, it's dominated by Alibaba and the Tencent with the Alipay and the, and the WeChat Pay. So, so in China, we were joking. Uh, even begging the street don't really take a cash. They say scan my QR code. You know, pay me that way, right? So, uh, I, I think with all the mobile payment, people don't really have to bring your wallet. Your mobile phone is your wallet, and and then in some extreme case, you know, people don't really. Uh, uh, they, they're using their face, face as your wallet. You scan your face, you can pay in, in, in the supermarket, right? So with all those mobile payment, and then uh, people, the e-commerce, the, e the total uh, dress market in e-commerce in China is uh, larger than US. So with so many consumer data there, so the companies like Alibaba and, and uh, Tencent and many other JD.com, they'd be able to build a lot of um, uh, 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 solutions tailored that. You know, uh, again, when we talk about 
financial industry, uh, China before there's no credit bureaus, uh, people don't have any credit scores. So Alibaba be using those status with mobile payment, with their e-commerce uh, purchase information. Uh, they build something called a Sesame score that become a, a credit score for every individual. So once you have the credit score, and then the companies like Alibaba, Tencent, provide you know the consumer micro lending through the website so you in china you don't really have to find a very complicated application to apply for micro loan just mobile phone you, you click something or base your sesame score you get the loans so so in that sense uh, china don't have any legacy system they build everything from scratch and then they move very fast super digital right uh, uh, uh so, so, so in the past, then people offered the peer-to-peer lendings and also using, uh, we, we talk about the fintech, uh, a lot of times also we talk about whether it's tech thing or fintech, right? So uh, China is really encouraged a company using technologies to solving some financial uh, institution, typical the way how they do business. That, that's kind of digital transformation for the financial industry. Uh, typically, uh, a lot of banks is state owned. Uh, so compared to the internet company, internet company is super um, uh, innovative uh, and, and, and create all the solution I just mentioned. So I, I think this is uh, super fascinating where you see there's no any uh, kind of uh, infrastructure to support e-commerce. No, uh, people don't even own credit card in the past. Now, people just skip all the credit card uh, using your mobile phone as the payment and, and, and do micro lending yeah. through your phone. Yeah, super interesting. A bunch of, you know, really series of leapfrog uh, opportunities that have presented themselves. And, you know, Alibaba, you know, WeChat Pay is also, you know, taking advantage of these. You know, another sort of legacy issue, um, you know, relates to sort of regulations. And I know that more recently, the you know the government the Chinese government has has you know enacted some regulations around uh, fintech. I'm curious what your perspective is on like how these companies can most effectively work with the government. How you know not just fintech but also more generally in Microsoft uh, startups. How how you view government relations as an important part of your strategy? Yeah, I think. Uh, uh... You know, because China built everything from the scratch, sometimes the regulator is not so experienced. So, so when, when things started, they just let the market to start. Then they find uh, something maybe out of control. They, they start to regulate. So uh, one thing, you know, since year 2008, uh, you know, when we talk about the cryptocurrency, uh, China banned the cryptocurrency trading in year 2018, right? And, and then in response to associated fraud and a pyramid uh, kind of schema uh, selling those cryptos. Uh, so that that's one thing happened. And then also you, you see the P2B lending, you know, uh, in China, uh, people were, 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 were in the last two years when uh, uh, maybe in a since years, uh, maybe 15, 16, when we, people talk about fintech, people always think equivalent to P2P lending, right? So in year 2000, you can think probably there's about 6,000 companies doing the uh, online P2B peer-to-peer lending, uh, micro-lending. But then China said, you know, that's enough. 
a lot a lot of times it's a Ponzi schema. So what they really want to regulate. So by year 2020, there's only less than 20 companies do those kind of P2B lending. And then another thing that you just mentioned recently, if you'd read the news, uh, this um, a, a big IPO uh, was fired by uh, M Finance, which is the uh, subsidiary of Alibaba, the parent company of M Finance's Alibaba. It's a, it's a, it's. A, but the, the the IPO just recently last uh, December was suspended uh, because they they feel uh, uh, there's uh, uh, not fair competitions because Alibaba, Tencent own so much data, so they want to crack down the unfairness. Uh, whether people probably violate the antitrust, uh, they have a mon monopoly of the. Uh, 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 consumer data, a lot of things uh, they may not be uh, uh, compliant with the regulations. So those kind of things uh, where China uh, really start to look at uh, the monopoly of the those giant uh, internet company gives some uh, fair uh, shot to some small medium sized company. So when mostly Microsoft uh, for startup, our portfolio mostly is a tech companies. They have technology to provide solutions to solving uh, financial problems. So maybe they using AI machine learning, uh, uh, non-supervised AI machine learning for uh, credit uh, car fraud, or, 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 or they, they providing a graph database to, because to, China usually it's a, it's a conglomerate, a, a company, you, you just have so many different subsidiaries uh, with group of companies. So sometimes how you're going to be detected the, the credit fraud for, for, for those uh, various different um, uh, a conglomerate. So those are the technologies. Uh, it's really welcomed by the Chinese government. I think with those regulations, there's a more opportunity for the small a small innovative startup to actually appear. Uh, this is a sector where Microsoft for startups uh, normally to nurture for those kind of startups. Cool, very interesting. Can you say a little bit about, in some ways, I guess, about the big data underlying this? I mean, as you mentioned, you know, Ali, you know, Alibaba and you know has a big advantage because they have all these transactions and they're able to have this sort of Sesame Credit score. Like for these firms that you mentioned that are, you know, really trying to assess the creditworthiness of these large conglomerates, you know, where does the data that they actually are able to use and analyze and connect the the different subsidiaries come from? Yeah, I think it's. As I mentioned, China is super uh, uh, digital, so it's data everywhere. Your mobile payment, your e-commerce, uh, where you go somewhere, even uh, during a vending machine, you just scan your phone right. to purchase anything. Uh, and, and, and you go to a cinema, uh, you go to a restaurant. They they have your footprint everywhere, right? And then you, right. usually your mobile phone itself is your ID. So anything they can identify you. So so I, I think in that sense, um, they can be actually very, uh, for, for marketer, they can do uh, build a very quick profile on you and with all this data. And the consumer is sometimes not aware that their private data privacy and a lot of times uh, some, some uh, large uh, internet companies just abuse the data privacy uh, about those companies. I think this is what 
a regulator want to be actually watch out for. I, I think uh, 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 nowadays the consumer start to uh, kind of uh, realize some of the data privacies uh, they sacrifice when they shopping everywhere with all the social media informations. Uh, so uh, where you also uh, look at the Alibaba Tencent, uh, Alibaba Tencent in the last few years, they invest so many companies. So almost all the internet ecosystems is almost um, owned by those companies. If you look at the, the large company like Google, Facebook, in the last two years, they don't really invest or acquire that many companies. But for them, uh, Alibaba, Tencent is actually two of the biggest investors are any companies. If they saw some companies innovative, they're going to be start to buy them. Uh, or invest them. So so virtually they own all the data about you and that's what government is concerned and they are just monopoly all the data and, and then some some kind of um, data privacy may be uh, broken and they have so monopolized uh, on, on the consumer data. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that was sort of my question was that I saw, you know, tons of data within sort of the Alibaba ecosystem or the Tencent ecosystem, but I, I think what you're sort of answer highlighted that actually the cell phones and the networks themselves actually have all this data as well. And obviously the networks are all uh, state owned, state owned, the banks are state owned. And I think eventually, you know, it ends up going through uh, them. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of different places where this data um, can reside. So really, uh, really interesting. Uh, I'm curious, the, you know, you mentioned this one sort of set of firms around fintech, you know, as these regulations uh, sort of, you know, sort of Get a little bit more fitting to the market, you know. In 2021, you know, what do you see as some of the key sort of trends in fintech or even sort of AI or machine learning uh, that you're going to be looking out for? Yeah, I think uh, overall, uh, where China, there's so many business, um, so so there's a lot of opportunity. What we see uh, in the past, um, uh, 90% of VC they pour their money in the B2C companies. Right. So uh, now I, I think uh, uh, China realized uh, technology is super important. Uh, they cannot just uh, used to be China is is is, is uh, they're very good at the speed and the scale to innovate. Uh, they're just doing the business model innovation, not really the basic research. Uh, they're maybe still lagging behind the the the, the Western uh, countries. Uh, so I, I saw this a big shift in the last few years where VCs start to uh, invest on technology companies. Uh, company have a deep tech, uh, company have a B2B solutions to solving B2B problem because the labor cost is uh, rising and, and uh, uh, the, the, the business is looking for uh, those kind of um, uh, digital solutions to help them to include, uh, improve their efficiencies or uh, better to engage your cu customers. Etc. Right, because we also talk about uh, the, the COVID things happen. Right, uh, so so in, in China in the past, people is really a relation based business practice. Right, people really want to see people face to face. They don't believe uh, too much a, a phone call or video conference. They want to be meeting customers, wine dining, build a relationship, start to do business. So so. Now the COVID has happened, make a lot of company really think how the company can 
uh, resilient growth happens, how they gotta prevent those kind of things. It itself uh, make those um, companies more thinking about how they gotta be actually uh, adopt digital to do the digital transformation. So uh, now, uh, they, they, then sometimes they, they feel like I have to travel another country, uh, another uh, province to meet some customers. I mean, one day I just meet the one or two customers, but through the phone call, right. I'd be able to do a lot of business nowadays, right? So I said the COVID things is really a, a little positive uh, to really make the enterprise to think how they're gonna be go digital. And also uh, the overall, um, the company I mentioned, the labor cost and the various different challenges, how China gonna be competing globally, especially uh, some of the manufacturing uh, is moving out of China because of the labor cost. So they have to rely on technology to improve their efficiencies. So that's why I see uh, in technology, uh, is uh, company innovations in technology, especially deep tech, now become a fashion, whether it's invested by VCs or for tech entrepreneurs. There's a tons of opportunities there. So namely, I think we all talk about those AI technologies, uh, blockchain technologies, uh, robotic technologies, all those kind of technology out there. But uh, it, it, it's again, you have to think about how you gotta be solving big business problems because uh, uh, technology is the enabler, it's just empower, uh, uh, improve the efficiency of the business eventually, right? So uh, I, I always say what I see in year 2021, uh, uh, companies just not talk about AI in concept. They really looking for AI is putting to real use to solving business problems, making business cases. Uh, for business to adopt those kind of solutions. So so we, we, I think a couple big sectors where we really want to watch for uh, is one is manufacturing. China is the biggest manufacturing. Uh, so, so as I mentioned, the labor cost is super expensive. Now they're looking for uh, uh, AI technologies, for, for example, uh, for production inspections uh, uh, to using some robotic uh, to, to re replace some uh, peoples, uh, I think this is very interesting. And then we talk about the 5G IoT uh, solutions. Right. Uh, I think one of those uh, interesting scenario is now everything's connected, especially those machines in the, in the factory is connected. We also talk about uh, digital twins, this turns when you have a, a, a digital representative of factory, you can manage them even, you know, you're, you're not there. So I think this is a big trend happening. Every every factory is looking for uh, to do digital transformations. And then also healthcare is another big sector in China. Uh, if anyone travel to uh, China, uh, even China have so many hospitals, but uh, that, that hospital is not very efficient uh, compared to the Western countries. Uh, uh, people, uh, standard of living in China is already uh, very modernized. But, but if you go into a hospital, sometimes it's really a nightmare. Uh, you, you wait hours just seeing a doctor for a minute, right? So I think uh, those hospitals are looking for ways to do digital transformation. A lot of life science pharmaceutical companies looking using technologies like AI for drug discovery, you know, all those kind of things in, in summary, I, I think uh, digital transformations, all those technology as just mentioned, uh, 
if they can find some business solutions to solve real big business problems. I definitely see that that's coming in China. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious specifically about the robotics um, you mentioned. I mean, this is something that, you know, people have been talking about for years. And, you know, uh, you know, certainly I think COVID has obviously sped it up. I mean, are, are, are you guys actually actively investing in specific robotics firms or more sort of the the digitalization side of it where you're helping companies maybe connect the the you know, sort of the automation to their production lines. Yeah, I think uh, Microsoft itself uh, will mostly focus on all the uh, information technologies, uh, you know, the, the, the cloud, the AI, the, the platform to provide it to the business. I think that the startup of what we working with, so they can, using Microsoft technology, build an application to solve those problems. So whether, you know, they can using a computer vision um, to, to solving um, a manufacturing inspection uh, where, uh, a, a computer vision is more efficient than a, a human eye. Uh, uh, so that that's a typical use cases. And, and then we also talk about alternative driving. It's another AI use cases. Uh, I think it, with the 5G start to roll out in China, uh, uh, many companies and a lot of VCs pour the money in the alternative driving. Uh, there's a lot of uh, unicorn there in, in China. I think at the level four, level five uh, autumn driving, uh, uh, it would not be uh, soon to be seen in year 2021. But uh, uh, the the autumn driving inside of an airport or a port or warehouse, an industry park, that's already uh, being realized and it's commonly seen in, in, in China. Yeah, great. You know, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm interested in in switching gears a bit, actually, to talk about. I know you're involved in the AmCham China and the Technology Committee and sort of the role of U.S. firms in China. But one of the questions came up. It's on the startup theme still, so I want to actually ask it. Uh, uh, so the the question is about sort of more generally the startup space and the extent to which. Uh, startups are getting funded. Is it mainly through investment, you know, VC, through programs like yours, or are there other mechanisms, you know, sort of loans, friends or family? Just I guess in general, the, you know, the the uh, investment space for startups. Yeah, I think a couple of things. Uh, China actually have a very vibrant startup ecosystem. Where I mean the ecosystem, first of all, uh, you need the talent. Talent meaning. Um, uh, uh, some of an uh, engineer be trained by uh, big companies, um, s uh, some college graduate uh, engineering science uh, student from universities. So China have a, a lots of them, right? So many universities, so many peoples, uh, and uh, for domestically, and then a lot of foreign trained um, uh, people uh, talents also find that when they return China, uh, people just, VCs wave the money to them to start their companies. So typically in the past, a lot of uh, Chinese students go overseas. They like to stay in the Western countries and uh, settle there. But now they all return to China to find those companies. So talents, uh, it's, it's one trend. And then we talk about the capital. The, the capital, when you look at the VCP money, uh, it be invested every year. It's as much as those PVC money happening in US. So that's also put a lot of 
uh, that, that's also a, a, a kind of a key factor for China uh, companies. Everybody now can have a dream to build their own company if they have something there. I think the, the, the third is um, um, the Chinese government actually play, uh, unlike the Western countries, China government play a, a big role in terms of helping entrepreneurship, helping innovations. So uh, uh, four, four years ago, China have a national policy called uh, uh, mass entrepreneurship, mass uh, innovations, where every province government uh, uh, body have a, a KPI to set up a fund to, 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 to help startups. So you have so many industry parks, so many incubators, accelerators. So we, we talk about thousands of them. So those are the things it, it's really uh, 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 happening in China. Uh, so uh, I, I think also you have a lot of uh, companies, uh, they China, the financial market, uh, used to be the, the China, uh, when you want to be a company, want to file IPO, you need to be uh, waitlisted to get approved from the government body. So that's just take forever. So when the VCs invest a company, they, 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 there's very little ways for them to exit it. So they, they're hard for to them to keep raise money from LP because there's no exit. I think recently, in the especially last year, China... Um, um, just change the, the the IPO rules so the companies through the government uh, uh body to approve those kind of uh, uh through through, uh, through those kind of systems need the government body to approve this the the company actually uh, more like the US it's the market uh, whether they if you registered and in the government to only look at the whether you're compliant with all the regulations and then you can IPO. So I think this is a, a dramatic change when the period where a company can find a company before they exit or find the IPOs. Uh, those are the kind of things happening here. You know, you mentioned sort of the, the growing sort of ability to go public, which I think, you know, sort of changing regulations. Uh, can you comment as well on sort of the new star market uh, at the Shanghai Stock Exchange? I mean, there's been a lot. I mean, obviously, through the ant IPO that was in the, or the, the sort of suspended ant IPO that was in the news. But I've seen sort of other news as well that actually, you know, companies going public and that's providing a really, you know, sort of great set, source of liquidity for investors. Yeah. Because usually when a company need to be five IPO, they, they need to be uh, profitable and then they need right. to be, uh, uh, you know, file this and they, they have a, a quota how many years, uh, you know, so it's it's a very different. If a company is losing money, there's no way for them to uh, uh, go IPO. But, you know, for, for a company like a biotech, uh, let alone, you know, a company need to become uh, uh, profitable. Maybe uh, for ten years they never even have a revenue, but now they right. be allowed to uh, go IPO within uh, either Shanghai Stock Exchange or uh, Shenzhen Stock Exchange. So those kind of things happening. So the China market, they they doing the the reform, make it more like the the U.S. capital market. I, I think those are the biggest shift where people realize. If I, uh, especially for the tech companies, they loosen the uh, the the the, uh, the 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 regulations in terms of the uh, the criteria for a company to IPO. If you classify classify those companies as a uh, a tech companies, great, yeah, very helpful. Um, 
yeah, so I'd love to talk a little bit about your role in AmCham and the Tech and Innovation Committee and actually the role of international or particularly U.S. Uh, firms in China. Can you say a little bit about, you know, the biggest challenges faced by U.S. firms in China? I mean, obviously in the past, you know, there's been things like, you know, intellectual property issues, you know, more recently, huge amounts of domestic uh, competition in a number of sectors. And also, you know, one of our questions in the Q&A mentions, you know, issues of techno-nationalism. Uh, and so I'm curious, sort of those, you know, different issues, you know, what are some of the challenges that U.S. firms in particular face as they're entering China? I see. Yeah. So, so for the uh, my my volunteer work at the MCham, uh, I think a couple of things with um, uh, you know China, uh, Beijing, Shanghai alone, uh, uh, two city alone have about maybe six hundred thousand uh, U.S. citizens working in China. So uh, MCham uh, have uh, uh, have uh, more than. Uh, three thousand members in Shanghai alone, and and then another thousand in Beijing, and and a few in some other cities. So our needs is mostly served American companies. Uh, 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 so so first of all, as as uh, as chair of uh, technology innovation leaders, uh, I really want to be actually uh, organize events uh, to connect all the members to let them learn share. Uh, and then socialize with others. So this is a platform I would connect. So we hold a regular uh, monthly uh, uh, events, uh, just helping the, uh, the the members to understand this. And the second, I think it's uh, the the, the MCM want to be really serving uh, 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 some some needs for the uh, for uh, between the U.S. and, and China, uh, especially the the U.S. firm needs here. So you mentioned about the IP protection. I, I think uh, uh, yeah. you know all, always people uh, when they do uh, tech firm do business in China, uh, the first thing is ask is about the IP protection. They was afraid uh, that their their intellectual property maybe get infringed in, in in China. But I think uh, when you look at China, it's really uh, evolving. Uh, I think China uh, in, nowadays um, they they really want to be cultivated the innovation uh, within China. So for its own benefit, uh, they really uh, uh, raise the level of the playing field of the IP protection. I, I think uh, 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 you know if you look at in the past, uh, which country filed the largest patents? That's uh, that's China. Right. So so as, as China become more innovative uh, a country itself, uh, I think the IP protection is actually uh, evolving. Uh, I, I think uh, that, that's that's what we seeing. But another question is, you know, uh, the, the nationalism about a, uh, the China product. I think this is uh, something uh, we actually seeing in the past, uh, you know, uh, we seeing uh, China just protect their market uh, some foreign companies uh, they, they have their own rules especially like a data rules uh, some data or some data center need to be stayed in, in China uh, so so maybe some in, in some cases there's some uncompetitive uh, advantages to being a foreign company try to enter China I, I think because there's two way to say that you know because you have to realize China is very fast-paced 
uh, at the uh, at a large scale. So uh, ch- uh, China startups are a lot of China companies like Huawei. They work nine nine six, you know, uh, nine a.m. to nine p.m. six days a week. So 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 a lot of companies uh, they really if in order to compete. You really have to be speed up to compete with those competitors, uh, but uh, I do see uh, there's uh, the, the the China as I mentioned, uh, they really want to be uh, used to be they're only doing the business model innovation. They really just the uh, want the uh, the the technology. They they not uh, interested some. Uh, spend too much time to develop the basic research on on technologies, but uh, China recently the government just released their fourteenth five year plan, and, and uh, uh, they they have something called a new infrastructure where they gotta be build all the data centers or uh, electric cars or all those kind of info. Uh, New infrastructure just towards the information things, and then they they put a lot of uh uh interest on the life science, uh biotech research, uh quantum computing, uh AI, uh anything we talk about the digital technologies. I think the trend is uh they realize they are still behind uh Western countries, uh probably U.S. uh in, in semiconductors on some kind of basic technologies. Uh, they really want to be beef up themselves to create a lot of technologies themselves. Uh, but, but I think uh, the giving a foreign company, if you want to enter China, uh, I, I, I think uh, um, it, the, the, the business environment is changing here uh, in terms of uh, the business opportunities there. Uh, uh, a lot of times, uh, the, the 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 foreign companies was in dilemma whether uh, in the past China always have a practice that uh, using my market to exchange for technology, you know, uh, transfer or, or something like that. Uh, but but I think now the China also, as I mentioned, they pull so much capital, especially the Chinese government is probably the largest VC in China. Uh, many government have their what they call a guided fund to helping the company who do innovations. I, I do see there's a lot of inefficiencies there. You know, government just don't really understand technologies. They don't really have to uh, manage the fund, uh, unlike the professional VC or PE firms. Uh, but you know, they the government actually pour a lot of capital within the technology development gives certain time uh, advantages for local uh, tech entrepreneurs here. Yeah, that's great. That, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, that's one of the most interesting things I think you've described is how this, you know, the different KPIs for government leaders, for startups and entrepreneurs, and that they actually, you know, are providing sort of local infrastructure uh, and funding local entrepreneurs. So things just aren't always concentrated along, along you know, Beijing, Shanghai, uh, Shenzhen. I've, I've been to a number of tech parks, and it's amazing to me the infrastructure that has grown around tech parks, but those are mainly just, you know, in large cities. So it's really interesting to hear this is like a national uh, program. 
Uh, I, you know, we're, we're close to running out of time and I want to make sure we get to questions from the audience. So if anyone has any questions, please put them in the Q&A function uh, and we'll be getting those in, in a few minutes. But before that, uh, uh, James, one other comparative question I want to get uh, to you is, so you're, you know, the head of, of the Microsoft Startups North Asia, and I think that Korea, Japan are also underneath your umbrella. And, and I'd love to hear a little bit about how sort of the China experience and the dynamism of China uh, compares to what is going on in Japan and, and South Korea. I think, uh, you know, first of all, let's talk about Japan. You know, Japan, I, I think uh, um, you know, three or four years ago, I went there, I attended a, a event called Slush. I mean, it's a Finland uh, startup event. Everything's spoken in English, right? So you went to an event in Japan, everyone speaks English. It's a startup event. It's, 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 it's packed. So that's really amazed me and surprised me because in, in, in Japan, you always think about lifeline, life, lifelong employment with a conglomerate, right? So entrepreneur is unthinkable before. I think now it's it, it, the mentality of the Japanese is changing. I think the corporate also, many um, uh, corporates uh, set up their CVC corporate venture arms, uh, just whether uh, through internal uh, entrepreneur program encourage the employee itself to do something and then maybe create the venture and there's funded to supporting that or maybe investing startups so that's kind of uh, things really happening in japan i think in japan still you have a, a, a big market and also the company itself a lot of conglomerate to have a lot of capital and a lot of universities have very good uh, basic research and technologies there so uh, i do see uh, many innovations happening in, in japan uh, but compared to china i, I think uh, Japanese are uh, still kind of a uh, little bit slow on decision makers. They, normally, it's um, uh, still a lot of uh, uh, corporate, uh, they, they have to build a consensus to make a decision. People kind of uh, risk averse when they make a decision. So that particular culture maybe uh, kind of prevent Japanese uh, really, uh, if really they want to be entrepreneur, I think those kind of things really need to be changed, right? I think Korea uh, uh, a little bit different. I mean, the Korea you 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 have the the conglomerate like a Samsung, LG, or a few of those kind of large company almost control everything there. So the startups um, they are good in terms of uh, you know the gaming, sports gaming, or all those. But other innovations they always afraid maybe the large corporate maybe uh, enter the market, uh, grab things away from them. So uh, I, I, I do see a lot of entrepreneurship and all the government also want to break in uh, the, the current train where the, 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 the conglomerate almost control most of the economy in, in there. They want to encourage small, medium-sized company to innovate there. 
but uh, still the economy is still dominant by the large player. I think that's another thing uh, need to be uh, see breakthrough in Korea uh, for, for, for the entrepreneur really uh, get ahead. So I think uh, uh, compared to those two countries, China, uh, I think, because uh, I, I used to live in Silicon Valley, I, I feel that the ecos startup ecosystem in China is just as good as what I see um, uh, in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, uh, you know, you mentioned Silicon Valley and the example you mentioned earlier was some folks that worked at Stanford uh, or certain students at Stanford. And, you know, a lot of the stories of U.S. startups sort of started a university. You mentioned UIUC, where I think Netscape uh, came out of, uh, you know, a long time ago. How about in the Chinese universities? This is something obviously as an educator near and dear to my heart. I visit a lot of Chinese universities uh, and there's not the same discussion of entrepreneurship at those universities and technology as I find in the U.S. universities that I visit. I'm curious, you know, the startups that you see, you know, are they coming from universities at all or, or what's the role of, of universities in yeah, I think, uh, um, you know, as I mentioned, China have this mass entrepreneurship, mass um, innovation uh, uh, national policy uh, was launched in year 2016, right? So even the student uh, uh, in college, they encourage them to start their business. But, but in reality, when we talk about mostly, we talk about professors, their uh, researchers, they, they come up with some, uh, some very interesting uh, IPs where China government right now is looking for some solutions. How are they going to be uh, making those kind of IP developed by university or academia to be really productized? Uh, become a company? So we do see uh, there's a lot of work. I mean, uh, need to be done there uh, uh, and there's a train that China really want to do that but I, I tell you too when, when I had talked to a lot of professors who's uh, in academia uh, a lot of times scientist is not really a very good entrepreneur they don't really have that instinct so they spend the money you know to create some things uh, unlike uh, entrepreneur they need to be have a more kind of product manager, manager mindset as they looking for the solutions then they come up with solutions and the professors at the universities they just uh, research and come up with some something but uh, they don't really know how to productize it but some professors if they're really good at being a good scientist as well as entrepreneur they will be very successful uh, especially as I mentioned China really nowadays looking for uh, uh, some deep tech there so really looking for to maybe um, uh, kind of turn some of the university research IP into a productized uh, 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 things and they encourage uh, a professor to, to, to start up a company because as you know in, in China mostly the university academia stay owned so anything you created uh, within the university uh, basically stay owned so 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 uh, it's sometimes uh, you know it's a stay owned asset it's hard for you uh, uh, in, in China, you, you, no one, w even a chan chancellor within the uh, university can say you, you, the professor can own this. So uh, China really, right now, the government are looking for ways to reform that and, and how they turn some of the academia IP I I into some uh, real company, a real product. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, you know, not to, you know, denigrate my sort of fellow pr professors, but, you know, it's amazing to me as I visit Chinese universities, how much actually funding is available for, you know, things like AI or machine learning. But I think you're right. I mean, you need actually more sort of, yeah, student and entrepreneur driven um, uh, work as opposed to actually coming from uh, faculty. So that's, uh, yeah, hopefully those bridges will be uh, made. We, uh, we're close to running out of time, so I want to get to one of the yeah, uh, uh, questions from the audience, which is connects to some of the things we talked about previously around the antitrust measures against some of the tech giants that has been, uh, you know, sort of announced recently. I'm curious, uh, and the questioner asks, you know, how, how is that affecting startup uh, growth with, within China, those, you know, sort of recent uh, cases? Yeah, I think in the past, uh, when you're an entrepreneur, you try to raise a fund from VCs, people always ask if what they call a BAT used to be Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, if they enter the market, how is it going to be response, right? So uh, a, a lot of times so when, when startup, uh, I also mentioned that Tencent, Alibaba, they have super corporate VCs invest hundreds of companies. Uh, so almost they own every ecosystem in China. So I, I think now, you know, given the, the antitrust and monopoly things uh, was uh, imposed by the regulators, so they need to be a little careful. I think because there's some more opportunities where a startup really can innovate. Because in the past, they always said, uh, uh, there's always uh, in startup mind where uh, if the uh, Alibaba kind of approach me for investment. So if I invest by Alibaba, then I become an enemy of Tencent. So when I should take that money? Should I be neutral uh, and, and, and then uh, grow a little bit before take that investment? You know, that's always kind of thinking. But now with those kind of um, antitrust uh, uh, regulation uh, imposed to those super uh, giant internet companies, I think there's some more uh, opportunities for a startup to innovate. Oh, that's that's very interesting. Not not what I would have expected. I mean, but that's that's that makes a lot of sense. So thank you. Um, we have a three minutes left. I just want to ask you one final uh, question. You know, that draws on sort of all of your experience. You know, you mentioned 600 different startups over the since this uh, you know initiative at Microsoft's been founded. You know, you before this were actually a serial entrepreneur yourself. And so based on all of this experience as an entrepreneur in the entrepreneurial ecosystem in China, you know, what sort of advice would you have for someone that wants to get into entrepreneurship in China today? I think a couple of things. I think you have to have a product manager mindset. So look at the, 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 uh, the, 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 the business problems uh, currently we're facing and then how you're going to be solving this. And then especially you want to build a large IPO the company, you ha really have to look at the, the, the problem you're solving is to have a significant market size, right? So that's where typical business school talk about dressable market. And then I think the, the, the team uh, is extremely important. Nowadays, it's hard to do a company just by yourself. You really need to have a, a team to go work with them. So basically, maybe a CEO is more like a, a, a product manager, like Elon Musk. Then you need to have a, a CTO. Uh, you, you have a vision. You, you, you find an opportunity. Some CTO need to be solving that particular problem for you and build some product 
for you. And, and then you, I think you need more kind of operation guys who is good at um, uh, operating the company, sell those pieces. So think about uh, if you want to really do entrepreneur, think about those ways, problem you want to solve. And then uh, uh, form the teams, uh, I think those are uh, uh, the, the advice I'd like to give you. Great. Well, th well, thank you so much. I'm sure our listeners who have entrepreneurial aspirations really took a lot from that. And I just want to thank you in general for being part of this SubChina CEO webinar, our podcast of China Corner Office. You know, I learned a lot about the startup space in China, as well as being an entrepreneur and a lot of technology trends. And I'm sure that all these insights were really valuable to our listeners as well. So, Thank you all. Um, you know, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to China Corner Office on Apple Podcasts and let us know your thoughts. Thanks again, James. Take care and see everyone soon. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on China Corner Office. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Marquis, Kaiser Guo, and Jason McRonald. Did you enjoy the show? If so, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know your thoughts. And don't forget to subscribe to the feed for alerts when new episodes are published. See you soon.